Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you. This episode is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app. Hallow has 1,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations for you to deepen your relationship with God. To listen to all of the Hallow meditations for free for 30 days, head to hallow.com slash breadbox. One, two, three, listen. Welcome to the Shoot the Shiitake podcast with me, Father Leo Padalignog, a Catholic priest on a mission to bring people of all different backgrounds together, to learn, to love, and accept one another. Even if we disagree with each other, we got to be willing to listen to each other as God does with us and as God intends for us to do. And this podcast isn't about the deep technical things of the Catholic faith, but rather how to make it real and practical in our daily life just simply by listening to each other. And this week, I have the pleasure of listening to Rufus Jones, and we talk about racism for him as a black man living in Kentucky. He is a dad, he is a musician, and he has some great insights that can truly help us maneuver through this very difficult conversation. And if you want to support our podcast and our movement, just go to platinggrace.com, click on the Academy, become one of the tiered members, and with a small monthly donation, you get access to an online community special pot content and, and premium perks. And so please join us and support the work and our special guest, Rufus Jones IV, as I dive into a deep dish discussion and we shoot the shiitake. Welcome to Rufus Jones. Uh, my special guest here is I shoot the shiitake about issues that are really affecting our world um, Rufus and I have done some work together in ministry, as you heard in his introduction. He plays, uh, he's, he's a musician for a bunch of different conferences, so we've shared the stage, so to speak. And recently we connected on Twitter because Rufus didn't like some of the things I tweeted, and I'd love to hear, <laughs> I'd love to hear about that. And I invited you on, and I'm going to tell you right now, Rufus, I've invited many people who disagree with me, and they just don't actually want to have a conversation. So to you, I say, thank you. We're allowed to disagree, but more importantly, we have a responsibility to find out what we have in common. So Agreed. having said that, again, thanks for joining us. I want to get to the meat of the matter and just start asking you questions because the big contention that we have right now in our world is if I put BLM, Black Lives Matter, on my door, on my window, on my car, Somehow that makes me a good person. If I don't put it on there, I'm going to be seen as suspicious. I'd like to hear what your experience of Black Lives Matter is. Like, when did you first hear about it? And what are your thoughts about it? Um, I would say I first heard about it during kind of, gosh, it was about two years ago. And as ironically, it was um, during a... Steubenville conference that I actually went to mm -hmm. um, when there was that rash of just um, uh, shootings that happened. And I think it was in Houston. Um, I think it was in 2016. I, if I remember correctly, I think it was 2016. That's when I first heard about that. And um, obviously when I heard the saying, it, it, it obviously resonated because this idea that, you know, Black Lives Matter has been kind of taboo um, historically in America. Um, but then I heard about the movement on top of it. And I do have questions about that um, because part of the movement has um, talked about um, things like reparations and things to that effect. Um, that's not something I'm comfortable with at all. Do, do you see Black Lives Matter as a civil rights movement or as a political movement? I think it had intentions as civil rights. I think it's turned into something political. 
Yeah, I'm, just, um, I'm looking at their creed, and it says it has become a political home for many. And I don't like that. So I'm trying to figure out the civil rights portion of it, because you mentioned that obviously you're a black man. And by the way, I ask this of a lot of people of color. How do you want to be referred to? Black, African-American? What is your take? Don't matter. I mean, both of them work for me. <laughs> okay, so this is interesting because I've asked several people, and some feel very, very strongly about one or the other. And if I mess up, I can sometimes feel like I'm offending them even though I'm not. So, right. but as a black man, um, and, and just in full disclosure, you're also married to a white woman, right? I am, yes, sir. Was that a strange thing for, for you, for your family? I mean, it's like, <laughs> have you always just liked white women? I mean, is that what it is? <laughs> Has she always liked black men? Is trying to figure this out because you have a unique position. Yes, sir. Um, I was the first African-American male that she'd ever dated, dated or black man that she'd ever dated. Um, Did you experience a racist attitude from her family when you come home and be like, mom and dad, here is Rufus. <laughs> I'm actually really glad you said that. Um, from her parents, no. Um, from a lot of her family, no. From her grandfather, yes. Okay. Um, her grandfather, her mom's side, he, uh, it was a staunch racist. Um, and the funny thing is he had daughters that married, uh, one married a Mexican guy or an Italian guy, another one married a Japanese guy and he was not a fan of either. But when I came around, he really, really, really was not a fan. Mm -hmm. Um, how I approached that though was, um, I won't get too much into her story because we don't have time, but she lived a, she had a tumultuous childhood and he stepped in, in ways that basically saved her life. And my approach to that was, all right, if this dude did this for my wife, well, eventually my wife, um, he's, there's gotta be good in there somewhere. Hard to see that, but there's gotta be. Sure. And so my approach was, I'm going to go there. I'm going to kill this guy with kindness. <laughs> did he ever and call you the N-word? No, he did not. He so never his, said it to my face. So it was more than anything, just a real distance, a real coldness, a real... There was, until um, I decided to step in. I said, I'm going to kill this guy with kindness. And just to make a very long story short, the day of our wedding, he um, sat next to my granddad, who were both on the opposite sides of the civil rights spectrum. Sure, sure, of course, of course. Crazy to think about. But they hit it off like BFFs. So and can I ask you, Rufus, is it truly racism then? Was it racism because, because or, or is it just ethnocentrism, uh, like a protection of, of, of like his ethnic heritage? Because I think racism, to be honest, is used too generically and it's right. creating an inability to discuss what the real issues are. Right. I think it, for him specifically, it was racism because it wasn't just, it wasn't necessarily a protection of his heritage because the preconceived notions that he told me when he later apologized for being that way okay. was that he had preconceived notions that were lazy, that were womanizers, that were this and that. And he had preconceived notions about, you know, other races too. Okay. So okay, I wish so, I could say it was that, but it wasn't. So, but a preconceived notion, preconceived notion isn't necessarily racism. It's, it's an ignorance for sure, but it's not like right. motivated by like, I hate you because of your color. I hate you might be because I've been told that this is not a good thing. So I right. mean, I'm trying to get to the point of it only because I think we're throwing the word racism out and it's starting to mean nothing anymore. In my opinion, I, I, I'd like to hear what your thoughts are because, because if people can't say white lives matter, but black lives matter, just the very notion that we're using color is racism. Right. I can see that. I guess part of it is if you were to do that, you would, you would, have, you would be removing some really difficult and nasty history that does exist Let's talk in about our country. That. And uh, so I want to hear about systemic racism, because this is, again, a new term, relatively new term. I'd like to hear, when did you hear about it? And what are your thoughts? What exactly is the definition of systemic racism? 
Um, I would say the first time I heard about it was when my dad kind of taught me about like warnings of it. He didn't, he wasn't like a militant at all, but he said, son, you need to watch out for this. You need to watch out for this. What, like and, what? Tell us what would that be? Well, for instance, you've got to watch, you can't talk in the same quote unquote vernacular at, cause I grew up in the urban inner city and you can't talk in that same vernacular when you're going to school or when you're going to anywhere, a place of business, you can't talk that way because people will perceive you as what less do you mean? educated. Talk what way? Talk what way? What do you mean by that? Well, like, you know. If <laughs> no, this is really important because no, I, agree. I live 100%. right in the middle of the city. And right. I hear a lot, and it's shocking to me, what I hear right. from people, from black people, from my neighbors. What right. I hear is unbelievably shocking. They're calling their children the N-word. They're, exactly. I'm glad you touched on that. Like my dad, my dad is not, is not okay with me saying that. And by the way, I'm not, I hate, I hate when I hear black people use that word, hate it. Because I'm just like, dude, for so long, we have thought of that word as vile. I don't look at that word as a term of endearment. And you so, are so different. You're a very different man. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, well, I'm, because why, why would I want to associate myself with something vile? Why would I say, ooh, I'm going to turn this around to a positive? Like, no, I'm not. This word for the longest time was meant as something demeaning. So why am I going to carry that with me just because I put an A at the end instead of an ER? Like, it's just, oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't dig that. And my dad taught me that. He's just like, you can't use that stuff because people will look at you a certain different type of way. And is it so necessarily always fair? Yes. Is, that's it's not just that, but just, just hood terms, urban slang, um, eubonics, things like that. Okay. Okay. So with the systemic racism, tell me what your experience is besides your dad. Uh, I would like for people and myself to hear how you've experienced racism. Look, I'm a man of color myself. Yes. I've experienced it. I'm sure you have. And I'm an immigrant. <laughs> and then wearing a Roman collar going into the secular world, they automatically right. think that I'm a pedophile right. or that I'm a foreigner who can't speak English. Right. And so it's a very strange thing, but I'd love to hear your experience as a black man. Um, well, I've had, uh, I've, had the peop- I've had people cross the street on me when I was walk- when I'm, when walking up. I've had people hide purses when I'm you know, in the elevator. I've had, um, I've dealt with a lot of racial profiling with, um, with law enforcement. Um, Tell me about that. Okay. Um, I've got stories for days there, but. <laughs> no, give me at least the biggest, the most, the one that hurt you the most. The one that hurt me the most was one time I, um, oh gosh, one time I, was, I had my family over. I had my nieces and my wife. We only had two kids at the time. And this was a Friday evening in Cleveland. And I noticed some law enforcement were around my car and they're just kind of looking around my car. And I'm like, what's, I, I didn't know what was going on, but I was just like, I wonder if I, maybe I should just go out there, see if there's anything wrong. I parked wrong. I don't know. And so I went and said, Hey sir, um, anything going on there? Um, is there anything okay? You know? And they're like, is this your car? And I was like, yeah, it's my car. And immediately without even saying anything and asking and anything um the the officer one of the officers let's see called back up and he cuffed me and i'm like i have no idea what's going on my wife sees me getting cuffed outside and she runs outside and she's yelling at the officers and i'm like honey stop please don't don't do this you need to stay calm because i felt them getting a little rough with me and i'm mm-hmm. like please stay calm dear you can't you can't do that and she she finally did and they put me in the car and i it took them 20 minutes to finally tell me what i was in the car for and they had searched my registration and i had an unpaid parking ticket for um 25 dollars in another town not even that jurisdiction town it was another town um and he said stuff like, you're not going to kick out the window on me. On me. You're not going to do this. I'm like, sir, if I'm not, like, I'm not a criminal. Like, I've never been in jail. I've never been, I've never done anything. Like, I have a clean record. Why would I kick out your window? 
you know, it's just all this preconceived notion of what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually they took me to the other jurisdiction in which that, um, and, and with that unpaid parking ticket, and the guy looked really annoyed at them for doing this to me, and he took the cuffs off of me, and he said, you can ride in the front seat with me, you're not a criminal. And it it, it got to, it was so bad that the, um, actually the people that, the jurisdiction that had the parking ticket at, they waived it. Um, it. This is, that is horrible because it's yeah. a parking ticket. Let me ask you, this is going to be horrible to ask you. Why do you think they treated you that way? Well, let's, to be honest, um, in that part of town, this isn't that way everywhere, but in that part of town, second district Cleveland has been historically an issue with race. Um, especially with law enforcement. Um, not every district. What do you mean? Tell me about, what do you mean? Like, is it, has there been like this particular district, the cops are generally very mean to people of color? Yes. Um, and they just have, they, they all have been, and they have had many numerous reports of, you know, racial profiling, racial discrimination when it comes to like, you know, suspecting, somebody of this and then kind of and then they are let off but they put them in cuffs for no reason so let's Um, talk about that because um i i i don't know where you stand because the black lives matter has literally taken a political stance and say to defund police mm -hmm. where are you in that i don't want to defund police um i realize you like to see what would you like to see there's got to be reform though because this is an issue we, we, we can say what we want that it's not. It's an issue. There's got to be reform. There's got to be training. There's got to be a higher vetting process and how we hire uh, law enforcement. There's got to be incentives for, you know, um, you know, if in my job, if, if I, if I, if somebody files a grievance on me about how I've treated my coworkers or people underneath me, there's a review of some type and there's some sort of, incentive or you know or i won't say punishment's a word but i guess it's a word if i don't do my job the way i should and i feel like we need to do the same thing when we do this way with any job and And i agree with this because there needs to be reform across the board for every job i mean the priesthood has gone through a reform right i mean hollywood needs to go through a reform politics need to go through reform so police yeah. officers are certainly no different but because but because no one is actually saying what specifically they want the only thing that we're hearing is specifically defund the police right. i would like to just hear from you because you kind of gave some really specific things like uh sensitivity training for sure mm-hmm. uh you know better vetting processes you know to make sure that if there are complaints that they're dealt with quickly and swiftly and that people get punished for it. I mean, these are right. things that you're hoping for, correct? Yes. Yeah. It, it needs to happen. Oh, I think I'm kind of <laughs> losing you here though, but can you repeat oh. what you just said? Sorry. It definitely needs to happen. Okay. Um, can I ask you this? Um, yeah. Have you, do you know cops? Do you, do you know any of them? Like personally, uh, friends with yeah, I have, I have a few friends that are yes. Do do you know what they go through in terms of training? Do you think that they are not well trained or? I I don't think it's a matter of they're well trained. I just think it's not. It's a matter of. I think it's a matter of. I just don't think the vetting process is high enough. I don't think the standards of trying to get into that occupation is high enough. Because if it was, we wouldn't ha- see as many issues as we as we do. I well, just and I, I don't know. That's just my opinion. No, listen, vetting is key. I mean, one reason why the priesthood has such a shortage is because we have vetted so many people, which is good, who want to come into <laughs> it. But that right. means that we're not able to ma- match the needs. So, right. I've noticed a few things when I'm looking at a lot of the videos because I'm trying to figure this out. I've noticed that white people are literally yelling at black police officers and calling them sellouts, calling right. them coons, calling right. them, you know, Uncle Tom's Cabin kind of thing. What's right. your thoughts on that? You're not helping us. Please stop. 
that's my thoughts on it. <laughs> and I'm glad that you said that because one thing that I haven't heard is criticism of Black Lives Matter as an organization. If you well, were to criticize I, yeah. it, I mean, literally, if I were to literally get out in front of my things and say, all lives matter, I have got a mark on me and I would be decimated if I were to even criticize Black Lives Matter as an organization. Right. As an organization, I, I believe it's deserved. But I don't think, I think the problem is if we, it, obviously all lives do matter. But the problem is we can't, we, ha we can't throw out the fact that for the longest time in America, Black lives have not mattered. Sure. I, and we, we can't throw that out. And the problem is if, we, if we're too busy highlighting that all lives matter so much, and, and they do, don't get me wrong, obviously they do. But if, we, but, we, but if we focus on that so much, we forget that there are folks that have to have different conversations than others. Like I have to have different conversations. My dad had a conversation with me about how I need to be around law enforcement that you know, a lot of white folks don't have to have that conversation. And sure. so in that aspect, in that aspect, we have to understand that if we don't, if we don't set apart a moment to say, you know what, you guys have been through this, this isn't okay. Black lives have to matter. If we don't do that and set, set a time for that, then we're ignoring how black lives have not mattered for the longest time in America. I think you're, I think that's a very good observation about just setting a moment apart, just to, to kind of focus a little bit on it. Let's talk about how we have set a moment apart and how it's been focused. Definitely. I think, uh, do you like what's been happening? Do you appreciate, do you think it's helping anybody? I think, I think the peaceful protesting and marching has, I think, cause I, I mean, I was a part, I, my friends invited me and in, in, down in Lily white, London, Kentucky, where I live right now. I mean, it's 98% white and they were having a protest. I wasn't going to go because I'm just like, uh, I'm tired. I don't like anybody right now, honestly. I'm, I'm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I just, I was just like, I don't want to go. And I'm like, and I don't want to have any goofy, Sure. person throw racial slurs at me you know when i like that oppose i just don't i'm not in the mood sure but then they're like you need we want you to feel like they said we want you to feel like you're you matter that you're important that you're supported by people that don't look like you sure. and i'm just like all right then let's go so the peaceful protests i'm down with the vandalism i hate like the vandalism there's vandalism that happened in my in cleveland where i used to live this started, and a bunch of my friends went, uh, a bunch of friends' ministry went to it. They Facebook lived it, and it started out okay. And then somebody lost their mind, and then there's vandalism that happened. That broke my heart because I'm just like, that's not doing anything to help. To help. So, do what people, needs to ahead. be done? What needs to be done? I do think I do think the peaceful protesting matters. I think the peaceful protesting sure. by people that don't look like me really need to do that they really need to step up and realize that this is an issue because honestly let's just be honest if i say if i say yeah black people need to be treated better i mean all i all i am is just a militant black guy that's just saying how i need you know i need my situation to be better but if people that aren't in my situation recognize that there's something wrong and are speaking up you know then it's like oh wait they're saying something that's an issue so that needs to happen. Reform, uh, protesting, peaceful protesting for reform, yes. Vandalism, craziness, and white people calling me a sellout of all people. Just like, stop. You ain't, you ain't lived my life, so you don't have the right to even say that. So <laughs> let me go back to something that you mentioned, because historically, Blacks were slaves, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yes. That's just been a part of history. It's been a part of culture. People yeah. have accused uh, Christopher Columbus of being um, a horrible person. And sure, he was certainly no saint. And let's just take that moment, because I want to take a pause in that moment as we're discussing here, and realize that things were very different back then. Mm -hmm. 
do you think that people are kind of just bringing the past up to the present and trying to impose the year 2020 moral standards to what was happening in 1776? Because it's two different worlds. I think, I think they are, but I think they're doing it for the sake of showing that I think they're doing it for the sake of illuminating what America has been. Sure. We, we just, we can't, and like I said, I keep going back to it, but we can't forget that. And, you know, Civil Rights Act was signed in 1964. That wasn't long ago. Sure. <laughs> you know, so. But do you see a difference between how that protest occurred and these protests are occurring? Because I remember tweeting about that, and I think I got a response from you particularly about like you're constantly highlighting all of the, the violence and it's obfuscating the peaceful right. protesting. But that's the point. We need to show peaceful protesting, but it doesn't really, it doesn't make the play. Because it doesn't resonate. We, it doesn't resonate, but the violence is resonating the exact opposite. And here's my contention. I think that America 2020 is not a racist country, but I think some people think that about America. Do you think it is? As a whole, I don't want to say that, but do I think that it's, is, a, is it a part of who, the fabric of who American, America is right now? I, I think so. Just because, so, go ahead. The, no, the, so and I appreciate it. So the fabric is part, like the history. Well, not just the history, but even even now. So I think, I think when you're looking at when you're looking at this idea of, I mean, just look at the look at the visceral reaction of banning the Confederate flag for a lot of folks. I mean, first off. Forget the forget the white supremacy that's behind that flag. They were treason to the United States. Okay, we say what we want about heritage. We can say what we want about yay rebel power and all that fun stuff. It it was treason to the United States. So it's not even patriotic to have a have that flag. Like it's just not, <laughs> white or black or yellow. It's not patriotic. But. When you look at the visceral reaction of removing something that was a rep, regardless of how people feel about it, you can bring up the quotes from Jefferson Davis, who was the president of the Confederacy, to the creator of the Confederacy. Their sole purpose was supremacy of, white man, of the white man over everyone else. Not just me, everyone else. And so when you want to remove that, from our country and you see how many folks get so angry and so upset and that's what and that gets me because i'm just like but can i ask you what will removing that symbol do to rectify the past sins and how is it going to help us moving forward if it's no longer present what does it do to help the black community well it actually shows that people actually looked at that as something that was not okay. Uh, um, so could I offer this? Because this yes. has been a thought on my mind. I say, leave it up and show literally next to a statue or to this flag, literally what it means, all the evils that it created, and literally just expose it for what it is. But that a lot of people would, would be like, you know, I want to take down a Christopher Columbus statue because he was mean to Native Americans. And I say, well, how about this? Why don't you just put that up next to his statue? Just literally have truth, history put on paper so that people know it. Because my fear is the removal of something as painful as it is, even sin, means that we're probably going to be prone to do it again because we don't know how to deal with it in the past, how we have dealt with it it's going to affect us in the future. That's just a question that I'm asking you because I'm trying to find a compromise with racist symbols. So for example, whenever I see the swastika, everyone in America hates that sign. And, and you can keep it up. I mean, like we have Karl Marx's statue in the major city in the United which States. Is, 
lunacy to me, but we also have <laughs> we also have Miss Sanger, who is the founder of Planned Parenthood, who is a eugenicist against blacks, and her yeah, statue that is was ex- yeah. Protected. I'm one of those, and I'm one of those rare black guys that can't stand. Oh, Planned hold on Parenthood. one second, because we just kind of uh, are going Sorry. through one of these little blips here with Zoom. So Sorry. can you repeat that again? No, we just mentioned about Margaret Sanger's statue. Oh, I am definitely one of those rare black guys that can't stand Planned Parenthood. A lot of people are just like, why are you? I'm just like, read, read about her and understand where, where it stemmed from. Like she said, I'm going to, I'm going into hoods or in urban areas. And the sole purpose of me doing this is to eradicate you guys. Exactly. So should her statue be taken down and canceled? Because if that's the case, then all of Planned Parenthood would go too. Because I'm finding, and Rufus, Which I'm okay with that. I totally respect <laughs> this. I'm not. I would rather be able to debate the ideas that that symbol represents rather than just out of passion pretend like it didn't ever exist. That's kind of where I'm coming from. Right. Would be like, no, you need to be tearing that down. And I say, no, I'd rather figure out what it means what it has meant and more importantly learn from this experience that's kind of where i'm coming from but i'd love to hear your critique on that well the problem is what what i think the problem is with that is we're such a visual society and we're such a visual uh nation in a lot of ways and i just part of me says okay i hear that and i can hear that um but part of me says why do we have to, we have to do that because it's not taught enough. You know, like some of my friends, like I, like I, some of my friends down here, they didn't even know what lynching was until I said, told them like, this is what it means. Some of them didn't even know about uh, the Tulsa massacre, the black wall street until like I taught them what it meant. They're just like, I have no idea. Oh my gosh, it's awful. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think that's more of a referendum on our education system than ah, well, anything that's, else. That, that's a big problem because most public schools are democratically run and there is a revision approach to history with it all. And so it's, yeah. it's really very problematic. But you mentioned visuals. Like, first of all, I look at you, if I did not know you, I would think you were from Jamaica. <laughs> Slightly Rastafarian. <laughs> yeah, man. Don't and, you and, know. And if you were with a group of people and you were talking loudly and boisterously, I would have my spidey senses tingled if as I was walking down the street in Baltimore and you were at a corner. And why? Because that has happened to me. So this visual, I want you to tell me, what do you think the black culture visually needs to improve upon? And I know that that sounds like a very challenging thing to say, but like visually, what does, you know, white America, Asian America, you know, Mexican Americans, what do they see when they see that visual in the same way, if you see in LA, someone wearing a blue bandana or a red bandana, you just know what that means. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a visualness that you explain. I'd love to see how do you think black America can be improved in their brand to everybody else because you're right it is very visual what do you think needs to be done well i'll be honest part of it is um part of it is how we glorify uh folks in um a lot of hip-hop um i don't i don't i don't i'm careful about how how we how we i don't like how we do that at times um we kind of say like well, this rapper represents, you know, represents the struggle, represents that. And I'm like, okay, he might have struggled at one time, but no rapper that, you know, Jay-Z's not, Jay-Z's not living in, you know, the projects in New York anymore. Mm. Like he's living in the cul-de-sacs. So yeah, he may be talking about his struggle, but that doesn't represent, that doesn't represent me. He doesn't represent me in that, in that sense. And so, and the things that is talked about in that, like how we hold on to like some of the denigrating things that that is hip hop, that's not okay. Um, I just think kind also, of lost you again for a second. Sorry. So if we can sorry. kind of recap that one more time. You were talking about, about people living in the cul-de-sacs, no worries. 
you mentioned how it doesn't represent everything. And I, I was super interested to hear what you had to say. Well, I just think um, we're, we can't, how, how we, I, you know, he doesn't live in, the, like guys like that don't live in a hood anymore. They, they don't like, and like all those famous rappers, they don't. And so that doesn't represent who I am. And how, and, and let's be honest, let's just have a tough conversation. If we look in the early 90s with gangster rap and all that stuff, there was some pretty tenuous stuff going on there. There was some pretty, ten, there was some the integration of women and all that stuff going on there. And we can't live that stereotype. You know, there's been, and I can say this as a, as a black guy that's lived in the urban hood, you know, what we think is okay, what we think is success, we need to change. Like for the longest time, you know, 600,000 black men were in jail. We had, we had the largest population of people in prison. And for a while, there were black men that were like, yeah, I hold that as a badge of honor. And it's like, come on, man, really? Yeah. Like, why are we doing that? That's not to, okay. To the point where there are a lot of black culture that glorifies sex, violence, kind right. of a crassness, you know, I mean, right. it, it is, it's pretty disgusting. I see the same thing. Uh, you know, like even if a, a white rapper says the same thing, I don't care what it is. The That's not okay either. Exactly. The culture is the problem for me, not the color, because right. I love what the black community has brought culturally. I mean, from the food to the music, I mean, to yeah. the rhythm, that stuff blows my mind. But when I see this side of it and the looting, it does play on people's minds to think that removing a statue is going to take that away. I think, in my opinion, Rufus, you're going to hate me for it. I think that's a little narrow-minded. There has to be a cult. There has to be a conversation that happens across the board. Oh yeah, conversation is definitely key. If we, if you remove a statue and then you don't have a conversation, it does nothing for for anybody, you know. And honestly, and I, I can be honest, I've had a lot of conversations in the last well month and a half or so about all of this and about my experiences and some of it i was tired and i didn't want to have the conversation but yeah, i yeah but knew. i'm a priest and i'm gonna make you feel guilty you well, better you're have different. The no you're you're different so, you're but, different father but this, but, but this is why i love being able to talk with people who share the same culture we're in the same culture because right. we're christian because we love goodness we had parents that taught us discipline you know your dad was present in your life most black kids don't have their dad. No, they don't. I'm they don't. looking out the window right now. You're right. And they're not there. But let me ask you about this, because one of the things that you and I disagreed with on, on Twitter, at least, is Colin Kaepernick. Let's go ahead. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> so Colin Kaepernick in 2011 wished everyone a very happy 4th of July celebration. This year, he said, I... I'm disgusted. Basically, his words were, this is a racist country. How can you even celebrate this? Where do you think that was motivated by? I mean, I think it'd be, it would be, it would be naive to think that part of it isn't, a little bit of it isn't motivated in branding. However. Motivated what? In branding. Sorry. Oh, branding. Okay. But. I, I'll be honest. And this is just. In the position that he plays, quarterback, there's been a lot of racism with quarterbacks in the NFL. Not saying that they aren't getting opportunities. I'm not saying that. But if we're honest, for the longest time in the NFL, quarterbacks weren't even – like, black people couldn't be quarterback. They were switched to other positions because they were thought that they were cognitive enough to handle that. And then – they finally get opportunities, and then it's like, oh, you're a quarterback, so you're a fast guy. You're, you're fast. You're, you, know, you don't sit in a pocket. You don't think things out. And I think part of, part of it is branding because I don't agree with his Fidel Castro views. I think that's insane. Um, I didn't like the pig socks either. I didn't like that at all. He is, he is an icon for the Black Lives Movement. Whether he kneels, I couldn't care less about the kneeling. Right. I thought it was disrespectful. But life goes on, but it's become right. something. The reason why I wanted to talk about him 
is because he's talked about, and you've mentioned it, how they have not had opportunities, that there are certainly limitations to opportunities to all people. Like as a Filipino priest, I think that there were limitations just because they have to get used to me. You know, right. I'm, I'm a different guy and I'm okay with that. I couldn't care less. Like, is it slightly judgmental? Yeah. Does life go on? Yeah. But he's mentioned several times that he has experienced these oppressions. This is a man who's worth $20 million. His parents, his adoptive family, they're white. I mean, mm -hmm. how does he call America a racist country when he has received so much privilege as an, as a, talented athlete who just mm -hmm. happens to be biracial mm -hmm. do you find his lifestyle and his message hypocritical because i do personally i can see that but i think guys that are in kaepernick's position like kaepernick and lebron and um and, and guys like that that speak like that i think they understand that their situation is different because they've been gifted with a talent that 98% of us don't have. And I think very, they, and I think there's a little bit of empathy in how and why they do that and say that because they understand if I wasn't able to throw like this, if I wasn't able to shoot and dunk like this, there'd be a lot of people that would view me the same as any other guy any other guy that looks like me off the street that doesn't have that talent. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it, I think part of it on their part is those folks don't have a voice. Those folks have five followers, 10 followers. Well, I've got 10 million. And so I don't want, I don't want them to think that I don't see them. I don't see who they are. And I think that's part of why I think that's part of where he's coming from. Do you is, like his message? Do you like how he's saying his message? What you said totally agree with it but do you like his message and how he says it is it actually think, creating bridges or is it creating more division i guess that's where i differ is because could if i you, could i if he tweeted what you just said i'd be a kaepernick fan right but there's so many people that probably would there's probably people that hated what i just said now yeah but because that's your point but you're, you're a sane American, though. That's why. <laughs> ah, well, I do think that there is. Thank you very much. But this, <laughs> but this idea of what he's saying, do you think he's building bridges or do you think he's building walls and division? Just, just gut answer, yes or no? Gut answer, I think that sometimes you've got to – you've got to risk building a few, a few walls to get to eventually be like, this is why he did it. Okay. Oh, Sounds that's, good. that's, mean, that's the only really, that's what I think because yeah, some people have said that the violence makes people listen to us. Well, the violence part I'm not down with. <laughs> yeah. I would, <laughs> love I, for Kaepernick, I would love for Kaepernick to say that too. Yeah. I would, and love, he should. I would love black lives matter to say, stop the violence. This is not what we're about. But right. their whole premise, if you read it, is to destroy all of the patriarchal systems and the traditions of the families, you know, uh, and they want to create a space for people who have felt marginalized, but it has very little to do. I mean, like, I, I realize they've raised over $250 million, uh, but it's being conducted by Act Blue, which is a political group with kind of more progressive views. And that's where you lose, and that's where you lose credibility for us. How much money have they, what, what do you, what would you like Black Lives Matter to actually do? What, what would you like to see them do? I would love to hear your voice to them. Honestly, I would like them to take that, the small sentence that you said in that creed, the um, something about, what did you say about the uh, marginalized? Mm -hmm. uh, what, what, what was that exactly? Yeah, Tell so I mean, there's several places where it says it, you know, uh, empathy for those of this self-reflexive to do the work to dismantle cisgender privilege, uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans agnostic violence. Um, they, they talk a lot about sexual identity. Which, there's like, there's three paragraphs dedicated to Yeah, that's a whole nother topic. 
Uh, so, I mean, but I'm trying to, that's what I'm trying to do is we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other and extending to families and villages that collectively care for one another. That's perfectly fine. But to, dis yep. to, dis to, to disrupt the nuclear family, like, did you have your mom with you? I did. And I don't want that disrupted. Well, this is what they want to do. And so I'm right. confused by it. What do you want Black Lives Matter to do with all of this money? I want them to, I want, what I want from them is the idea of those that don't have a voice, those that are in tough situations. I want them to illuminate, I want them to illuminate the actual historical and present systemic racism that's happening. That's what I, and, and to speak for those that don't have a voice, kind of what, you know, a lot of civil rights leaders from the 60s did. So I'm what would that look like exactly in terms of policy? And so actually what I want to do right now is uh, I, I think we need to probably just take a quick break. When we come back, I am going to just follow up with just a few more questions with Rufus, and then we're going to do a little carryout order when we return with more Shoot the Shiitake with me, Father Leo. Okay, then we're gonna do a little pause here at, uh, at 51, I'm just doing my timing here. Okay, so when we're gonna come back here, welcome back to Shoot the Shiitake with me, Father Leo. I've got Rufus here. We kind of ended on a strong note asking what he wants on a policy level to, that Black Lives Matter should do because obviously all those grandstanding things was like, I want peace in the world. I want every child to, you know, to grow and flourish. <laughs> I mean, we all want that. Mm. How is it going to look? Tell me three policies that you would love to see Black Lives Matter do for the Black community. Um, first off, <clears throat> I want them to, um, I want them to, I would like them and I know they don't, entirely which is sad but i would like them to model um what it is what what a minority african-american black family or man or woman what they should be in this country i wow. want them to model that um i want them to be able to speak for those that have um experienced racism experienced brutality experienced hate crimes i want them to speak for them and I want them to be an advocate for them in that, in a peaceful and decent manner. <laughs> of course. Um, I also want them to uh, push conversation and reform in in any in any um, in any sort of systemic business or any sort of thing in, in America that's had a history of discrimination uh, to illuminate that and to push reform in that. Um, okay. that's what I, those are my three. Those are pretty good. Not easy to do, no. uh, but, but certainly worth doing it. Right. Uh, do you think that we need to be shutting down businesses and kind of putting up blockades because of the protests in the name of black lives matter? Do you think that's going to help? <sighs> no, that's not going to be helpful because like I said, violence is not going to help anybody that just feeds the stereotype. Yep. Um, and so I, I, I don't think that because all that does is all that does is per perpetuate fear and yeah. if you're and if you have an issue with I, I hate saying this but since we're politicizing everything if you have an issue with the right side of things extreme right side of things perpetuating fear to further their political agenda then you cannot be guilty of the same thing sure oh and this this makes a lot of sense i have asked you a ton of questions uh in terms of what you what you're experiencing, what you're feeling. I, I've got to ask you this. Do you feel like I hear you and that I'm listening and that I am paying attention, that I'm trying to, to care about what people are going through, yet at the same time point out, well, let me just stop with that. Do you think that I care and I'm actually respect? <laughs> I mean, like, I, I just want to hear what your thoughts are from like hearing these questions. I feel like talking to me and actually conversating with me about it. Yeah, you do. Because I, there's a lot of folks that I, and I'm going to be honest, in ministry, there's a lot of folks in ministry where I've tried to have this conversation and they don't want to hear it because they're too afraid to upset the apple cart. And 
and they they see me be passionate about these things but they've got to understand my passion for these things comes from a place of decency and order i don't want anarchy but i want better <laughs> well I, I think that's true for everybody i mean right america is a very unique country do you think that there's a country that is better than america when it comes to race issues um gosh hard to say that because there's a lot of when you look at when you i don't think there's a lot of countries that have the melting pot that we have first off um i mean and let's be honest um I'm a big soccer fan. Um, and hey, you look like a soccer player. Seriously, <laughs> you're just every, every stereotype I've got going on right now. How I'm a can huge... you run with that hair? I, I, it's hard. You got to tie it back. Takes a lot of <sighs> but um, I, I'm a huge soccer player, and I like to watch uh, European soccer. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you this much, and I would, I would have athletes here think about this, it's good that you guys want to use your platform, but you've, unless, well, hockey is about the only sport, but you, you don't have banana pills thrown you on the field like they do over in Europe. Like in England, they've dealt with this. Italy is really bad for this. Um, a lot of other countries have chants, racist chants that happen routinely, regularly. So in that aspect, I would say America is definitely equipped to do the best at this. Having traveled the world as a man of color, I have not seen, seen any country better than the United States in terms of race issues. Are there issues? Yeah, but I don't know if it's necessarily color. I think it's cultural divisions that, you know, it's just strange for people to see this. But think about like the rap culture, what it's done to America. And there's some awesome things about it. And there's some really terrible things that have come from it. Is that a color thing? No, I think it's a culture thing. Is the same way rednecks. I mean, I've, there, there are Mexican rednecks as there are like Asian rednecks. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Like the backwoods kind of culture here in Kentucky, I'm just like, man, I feel like I'm in East Cleveland, you know? Like. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So, I mean, I just want to just say, you know, color is one thing and we're never going to be able to avoid it because I'm seeing you as this very intelligent and articulate black man and I see quote-unquote hoodlums running through, I mean, literally with guns in their hands in their car saying, I'm going to kill that cop. Literally, that's a video that I saw. And yeah. it's a very conflicting image, but because we're visual, I think everyone, including Black Lives Matter, has to put their best foot forward. I want to close with this question here because I, I have enjoyed this conversation. There's going to be more to come. When I come back, I'm going to give you my carryout order. And, um, and I just want to end with this question, though, Rufus. What can I, as a Catholic priest, do for you? How can I help you? You're not even Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Bad no, advice. don't even apologize, but I just want to say, <laughs> how can I, as a Catholic priest, help you? Um, for me, um, having more conversations with guys like me. That's the big thing. Well, you got to um, find them for me because that's not easy to find. No, how, it's not. How many people have I invited to have a conversation with? And no one responds. They just simply call me a bunch of horrible names. Right. Because they're almost afraid of the ideas. So more conversations. What else can I do? Um, more conversation with guys like me. And um, I guess a willingness, a willingness to highlight like you're kind of what you're doing a willingness to highlight what is wrong with certain things but also say guys you've got to be better in this aspect too you know this is this kind of uh pulling up to to righteousness um and that that's that's a big thing um but also also understand and like i said you do this well so this isn't this isn't you but have have your have the people that you lead understand that what they've what they've experienced is a is a lot different than what other people have experienced oh for sure 
Yeah, I, I think that's the whole point of this show is to just hear the experiences of other people, judgment-free, honesty is key. And when I come back, I'm going to share with you my carryout order. What did I learn from my conversation with Rufus in terms of Black Lives Mattering, all things systemic racism, and I hear a baby in the background because they want daddy. So that's Caden. We will be back in just a moment. Now, welcome back to Shoot the Shiitake with me, Father Leo, my special guest, Rufus Jones. We just had a pretty intense conversation, you know, keeping it real, keeping it light. Here's what I learned, and I'm going to give Rufus, he was willing to stay on and say, you know, here's some of the things that I learned from this conversation with a Catholic priest. But for me, here's a few things that I learned. Rufus mentioned that there was a term, like just a moment set apart just to recognize. And, you know, like Black History Lives, I mean, Black History Month, that's the month of June, isn't it? Uh, so, mm-hmm. so we're just kind of finishing up with this whole understanding of what that means. I also mm-hmm. think that there, there needs to be a better conversation between people who are peaceful protesters. Their voice needs to come up and speak against the injustices that are coming from a political action committee like Black Lives Matter. And you said it. Uh, that you believe in the, the, what the name Black Lives Matter is, but the organization obviously has some questions. Uh, and so I'm learning that Black Lives Matter means so many different things. We need to clarify that. And finally, the other thing that I learned is that your experiences as a Black man is a little different from other experiences because you had an intact family. And your dad was with you. You mentioned your dad twice and how he's taught you how to act. And there's been a generation that doesn't have it. And I think a lot of them are the ones that are out on the streets creating the violence. But your parents, and, and I'm looking at even the older black communities. I mean, there's this one black guy who's out there giving the tours about the statues you know, the civil rights statues, and he doesn't want to tear them down. And so there is a generational gap. And the people who are farther away from slavery seem to be the ones who are calling it out more as a reason for their anger and violence. While those who are closer to slavery, they have a difference in approaching things. Granted, they probably were treated with the full respect but I respect them more than what I'm seeing sometimes. So these are the things that I'm learning and experiencing. Rufus, any thoughts as we bring this to a close? I would say the thing I've learned from this is conversation is going to be more important than the removal of um, symbols. Um, Because I'm not going to lie, I – I am on the, I am on the, I'm kind of on the side of removing stuff, moving some statues and symbols just because of just the, the, the visceral like reaction that it gives me when I see the glorification of what those people represent. Yep. It's, it's tough for me because when you hear, when, when you see somebody glorified for saying that you are less than human, it's hard. It is. Um, but it's it it it's pointless unless you actually talk about why it's hard um and so for me that's a big thing that because for a while there you know once this george floyd thing started i was tired i was just like i've already talked about this with everybody i told you this exists oh y'all tired of talking about this few people and then i was just like no I got to talk about this. I have to yeah. because people aren't going to know why this is bad unless wow. I do. And so in, in that aspect, yeah, I, I, I'm realizing more that every, every, and, and this has been good for me because I was kind of back in the, man, I'm tired again because I'm just like, come on, why don't you people get this, man? Why don't you understand that not all of us black guys want, want anarchy we don't want this this is not what i want i don't i'm my god like we've lived anarchy we've we've lived violence i've 
gotten out of the hood. I don't want more of it. <laughs> you know? No, like, my gosh. I mean, like, if you go to Africa, they are all the same color, but they're still killing each other. They're all killing each other. So know? it has nothing to do with color. I think it has right. to do with culture. And there could be so much more. But for the sake of our listeners, I just want to say, first of all, thank you. I mean, just this conversation is helpful to me. Uh, I, I love you. You're, a, you're an awesome person. I mean, I was, I'm always blessed when we get a chance to hang out at our conferences and we never get a chance to really talk, but this was one of those moments and, it, and it's increased my respect for not only your talents, but just for your passion and for who you are. And so there's a, there's a great hashtag respect that I have for you right now. And I hope that the people who are listening and those who are watching can see that conversations lead to conversions. So as we sign off, I just want to say thanks again to Rufus for all of the honesty that he's given and for a lot of insight that he shared, helping me to grow. I hope the same for you and for all of those who enjoy our conversations, which lead to conversion and you want to support our efforts, just go to platinggrace.com, become a member of the Academy where we have more conversations that lead to conversion. And between now and the next time we shoot the shiitake, stay hungry. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree.